First things first, Alabama State Bar Rules of Professional Conduct, Rule 7.2e, requires the following language in all attorney communications. No representation is made that the quality of legal services to be performed is greater than the quality of legal services performed by other lawyers. I'm Harry Steele, Backwood Southern Lawyer. My sidekick and partner, Mr. Paul Rick, is spending time with his family today down in Florida. On the phone, we have Reigns Russian joining us from Houston, Texas, and a special guest, the lovely and voluptuous Pamela Trailer, an enigma wrapped inside a riddle, my fiance, and one of the owners of Backwoods Media, LLC. Say hello, Pam. Hello. So, Reigns, guess where this girl's from? I hear she's from a bright, shining light in the dark woods of South Mississippi. Uh, Pam, tell us where you're from, where you, where you moved here from and all that. I moved here from Ocean Springs, originally from Long Beach, um, small town. Um, not unlike the small town we're in now. Uh, yeah, so we got some small town news, Reigns. You ready for this it? one? So, I don't know if you know this or not, but the building where my office is located is actually owned by North Baldwin Utilities. Uh, yeah, North Baldwin Utilities bought this building in conjunction with the bungalows that they own down at Steelwood Country Club, all under the guise of economic development, right? So the bungalows down there are for dignitaries to come stay in, even though they're rented to other people. And this building, uh, theoretically, is available so that if a, um, let's say, an industrial prospect is uh, is identified, they want to buy the mega site and they need office space on the quick the theory was they would make this office office space available to people like me who were interested in renting with the understanding that if one day there were an economic development project we just have to get out on 30 days notice so anyway even though we don't have an industrial prospect um we have been given 30 days notice as of november 20th happy thanksgiving well, that's absolutely perfect. Are you the only clients that rent space in that building currently? Uh, no. Uh, there's a the people that they bought the building from got some kind of sweetheart deal where they get to stay here for five years rent free or very little rent. And then um, there's a there's an accounting firm in the building too. And so and so there. Are you the only one that's being asked to take out? As I, I have not heard from the other tenants that they were asked to leave. No. So I think. Well, it's just ain't us. that a shocker? So and, and so here's what's funny about it. So um, if you drive around the square in Baymanette and you, uh, let's just say, if you were to guess that the person that owned the business did not live in town, you would be right 75% of the time. It's only 25% of our business owners actually live in Baymanette. Uh, maybe I'd say 2010, people with money started getting the heck out of town. They all live in Magnolia Springs, Fairhope. Well, East let, me, let me let me before you go too far. Let me uh, correct. Now you would say that the I would say the number of business owners probably live in Baymanette, but the property owners no, sir. live from out of town. No sir. No. No. Yeah, and and you got to remember when I was growing up, every attorney lived in Baymanette. Now there are six of us who live and practice here. That's it. There's only six lawyers that have offices in Baymanette. And live in Baymanette. Huh. That's right. So, 
in the midst of all that, when nobody wants to be here any damn way, um, and, and maybe this is a good time to pivot into our other story. Um, so Pam sold her home on the water over in Mississippi, and I talked her into buying a house in uh, the Canterbury subdivision here in Baymanet. And the reason that she felt comfortable with that was we have a coven. It's the only covenant controlled subdivision. And my dad lives in there. I mean, you know, we're, we know a lot of people that live in there and, it's a nice um, community. right. And, and one of the, and we were actually looking at a house on the water, but for the money, it wasn't worth buying somebody, what somebody else wanted custom. You know what I mean? So we decided to buy a house across the street for a little bit less and we'd have more money we could do we could renovate it how we wanted to and of course doodle got yard of the month shortly after that i'm sorry pamela got yard of the month shortly after that so we need to break the ice on that ex-wife number two's name is pam i refuse to call the woman i love by that name so uh er ergo the doodle uh childhood nickname uh so so back to the story she buys this house. She spends six months renovating it. Um, the house that we were looking at across the street on the water was purchased by a friend of ours. And shortly thereafter, another house started going up on one of the last vacant lots on the lake. It is not the kind of house that we want in our subdivision. It's, it is the minimum square footage. It is a plain Jane looking uh, ranch style house and uh I, and it's obvious when you look at the monolithic draft it's, it's one of those houses that's at the end of a cul-de-sac so it's a pie-shaped lot and yeah. so the f- entirety of the front of the lot is a monolithic concrete pour if you can imagine that wow a pie-shaped concrete yeah just almost the entire front yard and i think what happened was is they figured out they didn't have enough square footage so they just threw a garage on the front which made them have to push the house back anyway. It just it wasn't a good lot to uh, try to put a, a, a typical a prototypical house on. Every, most everything in the subdivision is custom built except for this one. So um so after that happened and we started rattling the saber with our HOA um this past week, do you Nick, can you show us a photo of the big red barn? Is it up? So driving out of our subdivision on the right-hand side headed towards Hand Avenue, the slab appeared one day, and it's behind a house, and the, and the rear of this house is actually the side yard of someone in our subdivision. They built this thing, I, I want to say it's no more than 25 feet from the side of that house to this corrugated metal it looks like a Jiffy Lube Reigns. What do you think it looks like? I mean, that's what Doodle said. It's got roll-up doors on the front, a red barn yeah. with a white roof, and three roll-up doors. And it's within 25 feet of a really, really nice house. And you just got to ask yourself, is it... I'm just trying to close my eyes and imagine um, what goes on in those offices up there at City Hall. It does look like a commercial building. It looks terrible. And uh, can you roll the video for us? Did a little, I did a little ride by so everybody could have a perspective on just what it looks like. So, um, that's what we got. 
and I went up to City Hall and I talked to them before the vertical construction happened just when there was a slab there and I was like man what's going on there and also they put uh, I don't know if it's in the, if you can see it in the pictures or video but for the last two months there's been caution tape all the way around this lot have you ever seen anybody do that in a residential neighborhood in Mississippi I mean even in Mississippi they don't do things like that well, no, but I have seen it. I have seen it go in, and what that's probably going to be is just what you think it is. If they had caution tape up, that means that they were digging and pouring concrete, and they maybe had to do a certified dig, which means they might be putting a tank there, and it may end up with a gas pump in front. Of it. Nah, it's it's residential, but it but the construction, the type of construction, is what I would call commercial construction. Uh, th- well, I mean, it's, it's it, I don't know if your if your community has the homeowners covenant in place that says you can't put in large barns or large storage facilities or anything like that but if they don't under home rule there's nothing you can you mean you can put a three panel garage in your a three bay garage in your backyard if you want to because it may just be he's going to store something there she and that may be it now does it have frontage on a main road well, it is not in it's our not on the main road and, it, and it's not in our subdivision our subdivision was was built coterminous with this guy's backyard and typically, in most zoning ordinances, when you do a PUD, you would have to put a buffer around your PUD right. so that this kind of thing wouldn't right. happen. But obviously, when they did this thing back in the mid-90s, uh, nobody was thinking into the future. Which is, yeah. I see a lot well, of that. Well, I mean, do you feel like this is a residential build that they're just putting in a a spot or do you feel like this is some part of some some business has been wooed into taking this i mean if it doesn't have highway frontage i don't know what good it's going to do other than crossing something off somebody's list that they got a business bill well here's have you seen any permits pulled or anything like that and and here's what i think i think i think it's a guy who wants a space and um and who knows what he's going to do with it but the the fact of the matter is um, some consideration should have been given to the existing property owners and you know if i'm the building official or the city planner and i see that come across my desk i'd say you know what i i I think i'm gonna have to run this up the flagpole because number one of where it is and number two um regardless of whether it's um uh, allowed by right in the zoning ordinance uh, I'd be thinking about the people who live next door having a metal building 30 feet from their house. And, wh- and what are they going to be doing? It? What are they going to do if somebody's in there welding or running a, a metal cutter at, at, uh, at 6 in the morning? I mean, you know, there are a lot of things to consider when you're letting somebody build a building of that square footage. Well, I think we're talking about two different things. And if, if it is indeed a business, then that needs to be examined as to impact and whatnot. If it's just somebody putting up a metal building in their yard and they're unrestricted for it, I'm not going to speak against that because, yes, there should be considerations and whatnot, but it comes down to property owner's rights. Yeah, and but the property want, owner's right, the, you know, the guy who's got the $300,000 house next door who's downhill, who doesn't get any sunlight in the afternoon because of the shadow of this big thing, I think he deserves sure. a good bit of consideration. I think his, uh, well, there there are a lot of things that go into um, con- a lot of considerations, that, things you have to take into consideration when you're uh, 
examining a potential lawsuit, and uh, I I hope the prices do that. I would. If it was next to my house, I'd already be sharpening my knives. Well, and it's I bad enough. We've got to drive past it every – you know, if you're looking for our place, Reigns, it's the second left past the damn red barn. Well, and I'm at, at least now that there's a, there's a decent landmark in your toad lick section of the woods where I can find you without having to look at the street signs that have palmettos right. so growing here, up over so the So here's the funny thing. You, you'll know where to turn because right there on Hand Avenue, this guy keeps his tractor trailer parked right there. So you turn at the tractor trailer, the next stop sign on your left is a big red metal building, and then right around the curve is the beautiful fountain entrance to Canterbury Subdivision. Well, you know, it's, this is the absolute embodiment of the not-in-my-backyard mentality. And while, yes, you have to be considerate of your neighbors and whatnot, it all comes down to literally being in somebody's backyard. And let the, uh, let the property owners fight this one out. You know, I've seen worse fights over limbs, for crying out loud, you know. And if nobody's going to raise a fight about the metal building, no, you know, oh, well. So it takes up some sunlight. At least somebody's happy and Somebody else will just sit and grumble every Thanksgiving about what a son of a bitch next door built a big old barn where I can't see the sun anymore. Well, don't like it, go out there and light it and put a match to it. it Take the court. I thought it, about you know? that. It's all metal. <laughs> Even oh, yeah. It, well, it's I hard to describe. Down, I got a guy down on the east. I got a guy down on the east bank of the river to make you a good deal on some thermite that left over from a construction project. <laughs> we don't use that word or any words oh, like yeah, it on this podcast. Oh. Oh, that's correct. Yeah, that's uh, that's going to get us flagged. That's, no. Forget I said that. But anyway, all the little petty crap that could be leveled at me, you know, what the sheriff's done and now the mayor and the folks over at North Bowen Utilities wanting us gone. Uh, and we anticipated that. I mean, we, we've, had, yeah. we've had some things yeah. in the works. And the good news is we're in our new space when we announce it in the address uh, in the next couple of weeks. I think we're going to set us up a permanent podcasting space in there. We don't have to – you guys don't appreciate it. And I know Paul doesn't appreciate it, but I spend about an hour, uh, Nick and I do, setting all this up prior to every podcast, and that's really a pain. Um, all right, so let's move on. Uh, I want to talk about uh, how you and I know each other, and you can't see me, but uh, Doodle made me dress up a little bit for this episode she's always got on she she's always dressed to the nines but um and i typically have on a fishing shirt because paul will show up in a damn t-shirt or something i never know what he's gonna have on so i just i just say did she make you iron your magellan fishing shirt yeah, i have on a button-down shirt and i have on my uh my blue blazer with my um eagle scout pin on it because the next thing oh, we're going to talk go. about that's how you and I know each other range is from the our experiences in the Boy Scouts of America. Um, That's right. So first of all, uh, I wanted to show a little video, and uh, I don't. Are we going to be able to hear that? Range isn't going to be able to hear it, is he? Uh, but anyway, uh, go ahead and run that, and we'll talk to Range when we come back. Okay. Well, it was a lot of hard work and clearing that debris and fixing what was damaged, but all that hard work paid off with record-breaking numbers. Philmont Scout Ranch just wrapped up its 81st summer season after a devastating wildfire shut down operations last year. We had to prepare for how do we 
bring people in. Uh, so they were hiking in the north or they were hiking in the south. In 2018, the Ute Park fire scorched more than 26,000 acres of the ranch and damaged 200 campsites. So all of those campsites had to be rebuilt. We started that even in February and March uh, with heavy snow and trying to get into the backcountry and doing that. Just check out this drone video from the camp taken one year ago this month, showing just how bad it was. Despite the devastation, a year later, the ranch is celebrating the biggest summer season in its history. We kept saying yes and kept saying yes, and uh, and so the numbers kept growing and filling up, and, and, and we knew it was going to be record-breaking probably in January. More than 24,000 campers this year. Many were signed up for the 2018 summer season that was canceled. They were excited to be there as we were excited to have them there. Campers this year came from all 50 states and five different countries. A busy winter and wet spring helped keep the fire danger down and the Philmont Scout Ranch open this season. Shelley Leggett, KOAT Action 7 News. So you've just seen a video about the fires that ravaged the Philmont Scout Ranch, which is a working buffalo ranch out in Chimarron, New Mexico, that was donated to the Boy Scouts. The only thing they have to do is keep raising buffalo. That's it. And they get to utilize this 140,000 acres. Um, so, Range, you ever been to Philmont? No. You, okay, me either. But uh, And just for the people who aren't scouters out there, we have four high adventure bases, sea base, of course, which is the best, which is where Reigns and I worked, um, northern tier canoe base, and uh, I would show up. I have my northern tier belt on today. Still fits. Oh, nice. Not. <laughs> and, um, and then, of course, Philmont, uh, and There's what's the fourth one? The, it's in it's Georgia. Right? Yeah, the Buchanan the Buchanan family lay, and it is a backpacking. It is like a miniature Philmont. It's Philmont, but with more trees. All right, let me tell you about mountains. let me tell you about Georgia mountains. They hotter than hell. It's the only time I've ever had heat exhaustion. Took a a group over to that. They do a Paul Bunyan trip over there. One of those fifty milers. Yeah, and we did yeah, thirty miles right. on the Flint River, which is the river that flooded right before we went, and uh, it flooded so bad that it caused caskets to pop out of the ground in old historic mm -hmm. cemeteries. Um, anyway, it was hot, and there were ticks on the ground like ants everywhere else. Uh, you don't have to worry about me going there. Anyway, uh, but I did go to the Northern Tier and uh, do that two weeks up there, so. So, if you watch the video, you will see that they had a fire. Everything's been fixed. They had their largest summer ever this year. And the Boy Scouts of America have mortgaged Philmont. And I really don't know how you mortgage something that has a reversion in it, but I'm sure there's, I'm sure there are a lot of people that know a lot more about dirt law than I do who can explain it. Um, but anyway, tell me what you know. It's my understanding well, that they mortgage this thing. So, so back in 2018, the Boy Scouts of America considered filing bankruptcy um, over their anticipation of a flood of uh, sexual abuse lawsuits, okay? Correct. 
And I'm trying to think of who they hired. But anyway, there was some old priest, of course, back in the 60s and 70s. And, of course, he has multiple victims. Uh, let's see here. Dadgummit. I can't find the name of the firm that they hired. But anyway, um, they've hired a national, a, a, a pretty big, well, let's just say it's a big firm. I don't know how good they are. They're an extremely big firm. And um, they have, I guess they have a line of credit against this 140,000 acres. And um, I don't know. I, I just see that I think the Boy Scouts have made misstep after misstep year after year. And it all started, it all started with them caving to the, now, let me say this. Um, Maybe we need homosexuals in the Boy Scouts. Maybe we need females in the Boy Scouts. Um, but I think the way that it happened and the, the external pressure that they caved to was not the way that an organization organically decides that that's what, we, that's what we're going to do. Do you agree with that? That it wasn't, I think it was a, dis, several decisions have been forced upon the Boy Scouts. Um, and well, and then of course over here in the Mobile area, it's just been mismanaged into the damn ground, and we'll we'll get into that a little bit later. But um, but number one, um, when they allowed homosexuals to be leaders, and I guess what did we have a note? Don't ask, don't tell, or we just didn't care. Um, no, there was a there was a policy in BSA's bylaws up and until two thousand and four. Okay. That said, you cannot be an openly homosexual member, member of okay. BSA. Right. You couldn't even be a scout if you were openly homosexual. Evangelically homosexual is the way that they described it. And But there was a strict law in the bylaws that said you could not, don't, don't let us find out that you're even in the closet if you want to be a leader. And if you wanted to be, because BSA has very stringent guidelines on who they allow to be hold leadership positions at every level, all the way down to the new lines. All right, I'm gonna they call that. A, they have a new. I'm gonna call that domino number one. Right, it falls over. They let homosexuals right. in. Well, I think actually, uh, I don't believe that's domino number one. Uh, let me roll it back a little okay. bit. Let's talk about Philmont for a second. The Philmont. National Scout Range was donated. That's one of the two good things that's ever come out of Oklahoma. Barry Switzer was one, and Philmont, believe it or not, was the other. Uh, Wade Phillips was an oil godzillionaire back around the turn of the century, and he managed, that was a ranch that he managed. And he was very philanthropic, and he donated just a lot of things across the country, mostly in Oklahoma, but all over the country, different things. And he donated Philmont Scout Ranch back, I want to say right before the war to the Boy Scouts of America. And there is a specific trust in place. You want to talk about dirt law, there is a specific trust in place that says that land cannot be sold because it's part of, a, of an endowment to the Boy Scouts of America. And that was written in there. Just about every big scout property has that caveat. If it was donated, it was written in there that you can't sell it for any reason unless some of them have uh, their smaller tracts that exist um, 
around the United States that have caveats in them, you know, if it's affected by a major natural disaster and becomes untenable, then yes, it becomes eligible for sale. And I believe that's part of the exclusion they used to get rid of Malbilla in your district uh, a couple years ago when they started piecing it out, is that there were large parts of it affected by fire and flooding that the council said was just non-redeemable. We'd have to put more money into it and grading and everything else. And that's when they started splitting it up. However, big ranches, especially a big gift like that, it's 140,000 acres, and it's the, it's the flagship property of the BSA. It has a covenant that says it cannot be sold. Now, here's some other people that weren't real familiar with this mortgage. They're the people who sit on the board of trustees for Philmont. They were not informed of this decision. The reason why is because BSA somehow has been declaring Philmont as a tenable asset to the organization since the 1960s. And even though, now, Harry, help me out with the law here. If a piece of property sits in an endowment or a trust with a specific language in its covenant that says it cannot be sold, can you count that as an asset? I certainly wouldn't have thought so, but, you know, these Wall Street guys, they can do fantastic things. Okay, well, you know, I imagine you scrape out things and whatnot, and you make it a declarable asset because they decided to mortgage it. And the reason that BSA says that the Boy Scouts of America has decided to mortgage it is because they need a line of credit to pay underwriters to continue to insure scouting. And... They've taken out a $450 million cap. Now, Harry, you may be mad that they mortgaged Philmont for $450 million. Don't be mad about that. That's be free money. They, they, mortgage- can't, they can't get their hands on our property even if we don't repay it, right? Is that what you're getting at? No, no, no. Don't be mad about that. You want to be mad, be mad like me and be mad if they mortgaged Philmont for $100 million. They mortgaged a billion-dollar property for $100 million. The $450 million figure that you see in the news is the top end of the credit line they can borrow against. To this day, as of yesterday morning, BSA had only pulled $100 million to pay creditors, to pay underwriters. So they just wrote off, right now, Philmont has got their butt hanging in the wind in a mortgage with Chase Bank that has a credit line up to $450 million. So let's say we don't pay back a dime of that credit over the next five years, and Chase wants to call the note on it, they can. Now, I don't know how they do that, it being an asset. And good grief, I can't see Chase, even the, the blood letters up in New York at Chase Manhattan, that would want to take away something from the Boy Scouts. But the fact of the matter is, that's a, a monument to scouting, and it just had a note put on it. And the board they of directors... Take, they of take Philmont the bottle out of a it. baby's mouth, dude. They, they don't have any problem taking the scout ranch away from the Boy Scouts. Come on. That's it's, what I'm saying. It's just business. That's the problem I've got with it is that it's out there now. Right. Now, Sam Wampler, you remember Sam? Had a full, big, a, bushy hair guy? No, no. no. <laughs> <laughs> Sam Wampler saw the writing on the wall, and he said, I know that this will be a desirable property at some point because it's the Florida Keys. Sam Wampler was the man who started the sea base, the Florida High Adventure Base. I mean, when I say he started, woke up I mean, in a motel one there. morning and said, this would be a yeah. nice place for a Boy Scout base. I mean, this was a guy with a hammer in his belt, putting nails in, literally started this thing that grew into such an indomitable legacy. But Sam Wampler was also the head of the 
Florida, Monroe County Water Co-op. Right. And so he understands how land use law works, and he understood how everything works, and he set the paperwork up before scouts totally got it and said, this property will never be sold nor lien put against it for any reason. So the Florida Sea Base is safe because they could probably get half a billion dollars worth of credit for it right now, and it don't encompass but about maybe 90 acres of land. Right. Philmont's not. It's just in trust, and apparently it's been declared as an asset for decades. All right. So and did you, now it's in the wind. So, so were you aware that for the last, and I don't want to misspeak, but as long as I'm aware of, 30 years, the Mormon Church or the Church of Jesus so Christ of Latter-day Saints, which in scouting will point to will point to a kid and go, he's LDS. Um, so right. the the entirety of that religion, their youth program for all of their boys was the Boy Scouts until guess Correct. when? About uh, 2017. Domino number one. Um, so. I don't know how many Mormon kids are there. Got to be a bunch of them, and it's compulsory. They all have to be in scouting. So you lost. The Latter Day Saints constituted upwards of twenty-seven percent of all participants in scouting before they decided to pull their charter. From. So hey, what, guess what? Guess what we can do? We don't. We don't need the Mormons. We can just let girls in. Reigns. Exactly. I want to dial back you saying, and I'll argue this with you that it's about them bending to, ex- to uh, political correctness and whatnot, that's the shadow. This is a money grab and has been a money grab since they first started examining, hey, we may- maybe need to let people of, of uh, alternate persuasions, as my scoutmaster used to call it, participate in scouting. They weren't worried about caving to political correctness. They were worried about money. And I've had so many conversations with different troop committees and, and everything else just in my district alone, telling them, look, this is keep your kids in scouting. This isn't about bringing Girl Scouts in. This is about getting money from alternate ways, from alternate paths that before were closed off to us. Because the Girl Scouts is a separately funded organization, and they're getting $20 million a year. Well, you know what? Look, that's money on the table for us. Let's include girls because our program's better, and I'll stand on, I'll stand on Elizabeth Seaton, whatever her name is, coffee table and say that. BSA has always had a superior program. Let's make it inclusive to girls because we want the Girl Scout money. It was never about equality. Right. It was about checks. It was about getting money in there. And you can fold it up and put a nice little sticker on it and say it's for LGBTQAIA Zerv stuff, but it's not. It's about getting their hands on that money. We just happen to live in a political climate that makes it really easy to package it up and say it's about inclusivity, All right, so not exclusivity. It's... It's almost exactly like yesterday. It so Dill's her entire family's a bunch of introverts. She sat here for fifteen minutes, hadn't said a word. Well, normally I can't get one in it. I think that's why this works. She just lets me talk all the time. Uh, so, Doodle, what do you think about females in scouting? Were you Let's ever bring in some intelligence into this conversation? Yeah, uh, I was a brownie and a Girl Scout, and. I just think there's a reason that it's called Boy Scouts and Girl Scouts. I mean, well, for just from my perspective, I thought that 
uh, what scouts was for me was number one a place to learn how to interact with other people without a whole lot of supervision did you feel that like like the adult leaders just kind of, not that it was lord of the flies or anything we had a paramilitary structures and uh in patrols and having a senior patrol leader and all that but um Man, you got out. That's how the hell I learned how to cook. The third camp out I went on where I was eating, you know, grits with uh, dirt in it uh, and ashes out of the fire. I went to my grandmama and said, hey, you need to teach me how to cook because I'm, I'm starving to death on these Boy Scout camp outs. Um, well, I, can, I can speak to that. Yeah, go for Usually. it. It's uh, when I, I, I started to drift away from the church at an early age and I was having rather uh, superior theological examinations when I was a teenager. Um, I, there's myriad reasons for that we won't get into, but um, I was having serious doubts about it, and I talked at length to one of my scout leaders about it. I was an active Boy Scout at the time, and I said, I don't know if I particularly caught into this whole reverent thing anymore. And one of the things he said to me, and I'll never forget this as long as I live, I don't know where this man is right now, but his voice echoes in my head. He said, Reigns, it may not be your way, but it's the scouting way. Right. And if you want to continue to be a part of it, you've got to do things the scouting way. You may not like it. You may disagree with it, but there's a reason that every one of those 12 points is a part of what we call the scout law. He said, it's not, said the scout, the scout law is not something that says you have to be this way your entire life. This is a guideline. For you to follow. He said, just like the church doesn't seek to make you a prophet, they just want you to be more Christ-like. They want you to do this, and I'm not even getting into the whole church thing, but uh, Scouts has been, since its inception, a way to guide young men and young women in their separate branch, to guide them in a certain way to help them grow up. And I'm here to tell you right now, I would be a distinctly different person than who I am had I not been involved in scouting for the years that I was. And I, too, am an Eagle Scout. I went all the way through, and I'm still active in scouting as a leader. And I would be a distinctly different person because I got the majority of my moral, ethical, and common day-to-day stuff I got from the scouts. People nowadays, you see it on memes and boomer Facebook groups and everything else. I wish they'd teach people how to... All, all you got to do is buy a car. It's got a stick shift because nobody can drive a stick shift anymore. And all these commentaries that. about about how the new the new generation just doesn't doesn't have what it takes, and we need to start teaching tax law in school and things like that. And no, that's what the scouts was for was to teach you things and help guide you along the way so you learn things that they don't teach you in school. And if I hadn't had scouts, I'd have gotten into college and. I, I, there's not a day in my past that I can't look back and say scouting helped me in that particular situation. Tremendously in, a, in lots of situations in, in my case. And, and another thing that was unique for me, you know how, when you played baseball and your daddy was the coach, that's how mm-hmm. boy scouts was. My daddy yeah. never set foot in a boy scout meeting and never, never cared to. Uh, I think that was another good thing for me where, you know, where you, you know, sports sure. are, sports are one thing, but when you, you know, hell you're 11 years old and you're going on a 
a weekend camping trip where you got to pack all your own stuff. If you don't bring it, you're going to do without, and you're going on, you know, a uh, canoe trip or something like that for the weekend. That's that's pretty big deal. And, it is a big deal, and and the scouts have such an impact. Even if they're not, I, one of the things that I have to talk to my committees about regularly is that look, I grew up in a very fortunate part of the world where scouting was a big priority for a lot of really good people, and it's not anymore. And we'll speak to the missteps of that. But I have grown up. I am a forty-six-year-old professional, and I'm an atheist. I am anti-Republican. I am anti-church values. I'm anti-church and state. I'm anti a lot of things that don't cotton to the Boy Scouts of America's mission. However, I am still guided by being trustworthy, loyal, helpful, friendly, courteous, kind, obedient, cheerful, thrifty, brave, clean, and reverent in everything that I do. That goes through my head. So yes, you can be a lot of different things. You could be a you know, a, a, a homosexual atheist and still be guided by the tenets of scouting, that needs to still be there. And that has been crumbling. I didn't know you were hom- absolutely I, I crumbling. I figured you were, I didn't catch the homosexual part before, but okay. Um, <laughs> no, I, I'm morally flexible. Morally flexible. That's what I was looking for. I'm morally flexible in many, many myriad ways. However, I am still guided by the tenets of scouting that say I am, you know, maybe not necessarily morally straight, but I'm guided by, you know, how far am I willing to go? Yeah, you're a better person for having participated. Absolutely. And I think you, by being a, regardless of your religious persuasion or whatever, you being a scout leader, you're going to follow the scout way, right? Absolutely. When my, when my, my little pack, we had our camp out, fall camp out last weekend. And whenever they bowed their heads to pray, I bowed my heads with them. Right. You know, that's because I don't, I'm an example. I'm not going to sit up there and wave the American, the, the atheism flag, if there even is one. I'm not going to make a big political statement out of it. I'm part of it. I'm helping guide these kids. All right. So I got, a, I got a proposal for you, a, a mental exercise. If we're looking at mortgaging Philmont to pay lawyers to deal with lawsuits from the 70s and 80s uh, related to child sexual abuse, what in the hell are they thinking? What do they think is going to happen with uh, when you wholeheartedly throw adolescent boys and girls into the same, I don't know, into the mix? Well, that's one thing that you don't understand because you probably haven't done it in the last few years. But you remember that little tan tab that you'd wear on your left arm that said trained on it? Yep. That's youth protection training. I had one. The YPT training, as they call it, is extensive. And it is huge compared to what it used to be. Yes, it's an online course and you can certify yourself, but the, the YPT provisions that exist today did not exist when you and I were scouts. And well, it is here, much here, more stringent. Here's what I'm saying. Much that, man. more controlling. It, it, it's regardless of what safeguards you put in, there are still predators and there are still people that make bad. I, and I'm not even saying the, from, from the predator side, I'm just saying people make bad decisions. 
all right. the time. And that's just one more potential problem that I foresee with it. So, um, well, Reigns, I don't know how you feel about South Park. Um, I haven't watched a, the last few seasons, but I did come across a clip that I thought was um, not necessarily germane to this situation, but I'll, I'll explain the clip to you in just a second. Are you, you got that thing queued up? Okay, go for it. crap foley what i did shoot him in the face twice Ex excuse me my name is brad and I, I need to report a crime anonymously oh what's the crime well i attend south park elementary and, and one of the teachers is having sex with a student oh my god you did the right thing telling the police brad now who is the teacher what's his name well it isn't a guy teacher it's a woman a woman? Yeah, she's having sex with a boy. Oh, but but she's ugly, right? Well, no, not really. It's the kindergarten teacher, Miss Stevenson. The blonde? Yeah. Some young boys having sex with Miss Stevenson? Yes. Nice. Nice. What? No, you don't understand it. You sure they've had sex? Yeah. Has she performed oral sex on him? I think so. Nice. 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 So wait, what, what's the crime? The crime is she isn't doing it with me. <laughs> hey, he's totally underage. She's taking advantage of him. You're right. We're sorry. This is serious. We need to track this student down and give him his luckiest boy in America medal right away. <laughs> so, that, that was a little uncomfortable. But I think it was something that Mr. Parker took and made humorous. Um, so I also have a uh, – so I recorded this earlier, Reigns, and I'm going to play it so you can hear it. Uh, I talked to one of our sidekicks, for, uh, a female uh, friend of ours from Seabase, and um, I don't want to ruin it for you, so I'm just going to play it. So, Jennifer, how are you doing? Hey, Harry, I'm good. So say How are you? I'm good. Say hello to Reigns. He's going to hey, be Rain. on live with us. How's it going, Reigns? So Jennifer, Long time no talk. <laughs> yeah, he loses everybody's phone numbers. About every five years, he'll find one on a scrap of paper and call one us one of us up. So, um, <laughs> so you're tell us where you are now. I'm in Jacksonville, Florida. And um, close to the beach. And I'll just say you're close to my age, but slightly younger. We won't get into demographics, but um, yeah, slightly younger than me. And, and you're from uh, the Atlanta area, correct? Yeah. Yeah, I, I grew up in Atlanta, I'd say. And so you were a, were you in, a, in an explorer post with the Boy Scouts? Tell us yeah. a little bit about how you got involved. Um. Let's see. I was on a camping trip with um, like a local environmentalist, and while we were camping, it was like a um, in-depth study of nature in uh, in the winter. And we met a couple of um, Boy Scouts on the campout, and they were looking to, to form an explorer post. And um, they told us, uh, my girl, I was camping with a friend at the time, and 
my girlfriend Evie and they were um, telling us a little bit about Explorer Scouts and they followed through with it shortly after that camp out and we had a really active Explorer post. Um, it was co-ed. Everybody was, you know, teenagers at the time. I would say around age 17. Um, and we did a lot of camping and sailing and spelunking. So you had and, a high adventure uh, post. Oh yeah, Explorer very post. high adventure. Mm-hmm. Because I'm familiar yeah. with uh, we had an Explorer post in Bowen County at one time, and it was medically related. So, uh, there, yeah, there, I think they had a couple different. I mean, they had um, like military, medical, high adventure. I think those were the three. All right, so posts. so you're in the Explorer post. Is mm-hmm. that how you got to Sea Base? Did you go there as a as a participant? Yes, I did. We did the um, Abacos sailing adventure um, in the Abaco Islands in the Bahamas on the William H. Aubrey. Um, But a couple of the founding members of the Explorer Post had had worked at Sea Base. Um, We're working in the Abacos on the Tribute, which is a different sailing vessel. And um, and so when we, we were going down for a scuba trip through the Keys, with our adventure post and, um, and we stopped at sea base and I knew immediately that I wanted to apply to work there. Um, I was, I just started my freshman year of college. Actually, it might've been my senior year in high school when, when I discovered sea base and then I applied to work my freshman year of college. And just to bring everybody up to speed, um, this Florida sea base is a national high adventure base located in Isla Mirada, um, right across the street from the Safari Lounge where Jennifer's picture hangs, I'm sure. She kept, <laughs> she kept the lights on no all longer. summer. Um, Rest in peace. So, so, and that's how we know each other. We worked together down there. How, how many years ago is that now? 20? 20-something. <laughs> yeah, a long time ago. So, so, so you, and you were, um, let's say you had a cool job. You were a dive master. Well, uh, one of the seasons I worked at Seabase, I was a dive master. And then what did you do yes, the other it was year? Great. I was coral reef at, uh, coral reef mate. So I provisioned the boats and checked everybody in, administered uh, swim tests and snorkel lessons, and and hosted the luau at the end of the week. All the fun stuff. So yeah, it was fun. So um, and so after Seabase, um, after working there as staff. Have you had any more contact with the scouts through the years? I know you're in the Facebook group, the the Sea Base Alumni Group, which begs us all for money all the time. Um, <laughs> any other contact with the scouts since then? Um. Well, I guess you know our um, our Explorer post kind of um, fizzled out when everybody went their separate ways to college. Um, but I, I was always a huge advocate of the scouts and knew, you know, if I ever had a family of my own that, that I wanted them to be involved in scouts. Um, and I, I think it's a great organization. Um, and then, you know, just through the years, like I have a neighbor who's, who, um, I encouraged to go work at Seabay. Um, and so loosely, I've, I've stayed loosely affiliated with the scouts. Well, I, and I don't see any, any need to rake the coals over on uh, the issue of homosexuals or the issue of letting females in. It just is what it is. 
and, and we have to yeah. deal with the organization as we find it. Uh, my yeah. main concern right now for the Boy Scouts is the fact that they mortgaged Philmont, which is so. And so, do you know the three high adventure bases in Boy Scouts? I, so, Philmont's the only yeah. one I've ever, I've never been to. I, I went I went to Northern There's Tier. Canoe base. Yeah. Right, canoe base up in Canada. Uh, been down to the Keys, but I was hoping that I'd have a kid, and uh, on my fiftieth birthday, I'd go hike Philmont if I was able. Uh, but none of that seems to be in the stars. Uh, well, and, you can still hike Philmont. Yeah. yeah, but there was oh. a big fire out there last year. Do you know that? Yeah. Like half the damn yeah. place burned to the ground. It's a 140,000-acre scout ranch, and they mortgaged it to pay their lawyers in anticipation of a bunch of uh, litigation related to oh. uh, child, child sexual abuse. That's the, oh, wow. that's the explanation that. that I saw. And so, and just so people know, 22 Three years ago when we were uh, I guess we were adult leaders we were college students and um, they had youth protection program back then and back in our day it was the rule of three is what I call it um, there would uh, a scout leader could never be alone with one scout um, there, mm-hmm. there either had to be another adult leader there or another scout there it was never, mm-hmm. that was the rule, no one-on-one time. And mm-hmm. do you remember the ridiculous video they made us watch? Well, there's a few. Yeah, but I mean, it was hilariously, <laughs> I, I don't know how to say it. I mean, everybody was in the floor laughing. Uncomfortable. The, uh, the scenarios <laughs> they came up with. My favorite one was, I just, I asked him where the Goodwood was. I'm, just, I'm thinking, who in the hell would put that in a child protection oh. video? Unless it was like me and Range. They said, I okay, guys, that. y'all write a script for the youth protection video. But anyway, I just, I remember watching that thing back in the day. But of course, you know, everybody's interested in youth protection, right? Yes. Yes, of course. And so, I, and you were there when I was there. I never saw anything like that, nor yeah, did it cross thing. my mind. Right. Um. Well, anyway, so um, I know you have a couple of kids, either one of them in Scouts. They are. They're, they've both been in Scouts. I have a, a nine-year-old daughter who's been um, in Daisy Scouts and Brownies um, for two years. And then this is my son's uh, first year of Wolf Scouts. And he loves it. And is we, he, we put him in. Is he in a co-ed troop? In, no. No, he's not. He's been um, we we scouted out a a boys troop for him, um, yeah, because we uh, truth of the matter is is boys and girls are different, and just like men and women are different, and I believe that Boy Scouts should be reserved for boys to do boy things together. Um, and, and I want people they, to understand the hilarity of these words coming out of your mouth because when oh I God. met Jennifer, I was some redneck kid from South Alabama, and she lived on a golf course in Alpharetta, and um, super liberal, super, super, like, tie, how many, did you own anything that wasn't tie-dye when I met you? I mean, besides Ew. dress clothes. Yes. I mean, I still think that, I mean, I'm still, I believe that. 
You believe in equality and all those things, right? But there there should be an organization where young boys can mature and have an outlet for, you know, hell, you you can't, you can't fight in school anymore. Hell, you can't even, you can't even be mean to somebody. They'll turn you over to the district attorney's office of Mobile County. They've got this whole bullying scenario. And I, of course, nobody wants anybody to bully anybody. I've already been, uh, that's what Reigns calls me, little George Wallace. Uh, every time I, I hear just a little George Wallace coming out of here. Uh, but, of course, um, we're all in support of the Boy Scouts, and we're all in support of women's, women and equal rights and all those good things. But the fact that, I, do you think it was a symbol that needed to be torn down by some of these folks? I mean, the uh, well, and, and I don't know if yeah. you know this or not, but um, the uh, LDS, the, the Mormon church, in the United States, their youth program for the last, well, as long as I've been in Scouts, for the last 30 years, um, is the Boy Scouts. So guess what happened uh, two years ago? LDS said, LDS said, we don't know what we're going to do with our kids, but it ain't this. And so they lost a third of their membership in a night, which oh. is why... They decided to let girls in, and they can say whatever they want to about being progressive or whatever else. But they fooled around with their principles, and they lost their biggest supporter. And it's neither here nor there to me, you understand. But uh, I, I certainly feel like, um, I don't know. I don't know how to feel about it. Of course, I, I feel like the Jennifer Rices of the world should have a Eagle Scout badge too. I really do. I mean, I think you were... You were top notch, and it's a shame that you couldn't earn that badge. I just don't know how we do it in a scenario where well, kids are growing up in for girls. Yeah, I think there's places for girls, reserved for girls to to achieve their their own leadership um, skills and and their own um, merit badges, if you will. Um, there there's the Girl Scouts, and um, but there's also adventure scouting for once you reach a certain age which I think is it shouldn't be called the Boy Scouts. It should be called Adventure Scouts. And boys, you know, at, at when they are come of age, if they're looking for a different um, aspect of scouting, then, then that should be available to them, um, to boys and girls, like it was for me. Um, I, I just, I don't think any of that should, should have changed. Um, really don't. I, I think that Boy Scouts should be Boy Scouts. <laughs> And we're back. And we're back. I agree with her. Oh, she speaks. <laughs> Let's hear it. Well, thank you for throwing in, Doodle. I agree with Jennifer. Wow. I'm the only person that thinks this was a good idea. Well, I've got to say this. I am a progressive. I believe in change. I believe in evolution as far as society's models for things go. And I realize that lots of things have got to change over time. And I look back, you know, as a, as a student of history and political policy, I look back at the evolution of the United States and how we have evolved as a society. And none of it has been by holding on to old traditions at the forefront of things. 
when I was a young man, I asked my grandfather if he had been involved in scouting back in the old country. And he said no, because uh, his parents felt that the scouts were controlled by the military. And unbeknownst to a lot of people, they really were. And he said the scouts make soldiers. So my parents didn't let me be part of that when I was a kid because they didn't want me joining the service when I was young. Well, lucky for him, World War II came along and <clears throat> he got to join the service anyway. But the point of that is, is that everything is going to progress and everything is going to change and we have to have change in a lot of ways. But I also feel on the same hand that some things can be left to a lot slower burn. You don't have to light the room on fire to burn it down and change it. A slow, systematic evolution of philosophies needs to take place in every organization involving our youth because we change as a society. And we it burns at every other level. Why shouldn't it burn at the youth level? It has to be changed. However, I would hold that the tenets of scouting on both sides of the corridor need to be maintained. So while I am for inclusivity, that's great. Make it about inclusivity, but don't hide behind it. Don't say that we're doing this for one reason when everybody with half a brain knows that you're not, because that's an agenda. That's not a plan for evolution. And that's those are two distinctly different things. I am all for progressive change over time in an organization, especially one I hold so dear. But I am not for agendas. I am not for sociopolitical agendas being espoused in any way by this group as some sort of revolutionary progression. You know, I've told my son since day one, school is a place for school. You're not going there to change the world. You're learning how to change the world. I feel that way about scouts as well. Keep it like it is. You want to change it over time, develop a philosophy that allows change. Don't do it on a knee jerk because that stinks of an agenda. And so I would agree with Jennifer to a degree. I would agree with that, that yes, and the thing that a lot of people miss the forest on the trees are is that the Girl Scouts didn't get dissolved. The Girl Scouts is still there, and their value system is still there. And you can participate in the Girl Scouts still if you choose to as a young woman. Right. The Boy Scouts has allowed for an inclusive pathway to allow young women the choice to progress into Boy Scouts as they do. And I'm here to tell you, we're dealing with it right now on a small scale, but in five years, and all these Cub Scouts who are co-ed move up into Boy Scouts. Harry, do you remember that little chickie that sat out on a point at the sea base? I do. Do you remember the, the overnight guy we had with the long hair? I do. He called it hose patrol. Because he was the night watchman, and he said at least until 3 o'clock in the morning, he'd have to go over there, and he wouldn't even look in the key. He would just turn the hose on whoever was in there just to get them out because Seabase allowed co-ed programs. They allowed explorer co-ed programs. And let me tell you, you put guys and gals together in that uh, in such a romantic setting. A lot of people gazing at the stars on the end of the T-Dock. They was out there at the T-Dock watching the submarine races at 3 o'clock in the morning. It's going to happen. So if BSA really wants to deal with that issue, they need to have a philosophy that says this is how we intend to deal with that and not an agenda. Because an agenda just says an agenda is reactive, a philosophy is proactive. And I don't see any philosophy in place for it. All right. So and that's kind of what 
that's the only pedestal I stand on when I say I'm kind of against that particular thing. All right, I want to I want to tell you a little bit about what's going on down here in the Mobile Area uh, BSA Council. In 2016, I got a call from some friends of mine who are also Eagle Scouts. They had been to a, I want to say it was the April board, February or April of 2016 board meeting. And um, what had happened was we have we have one council camp here, which is unusual for a council the size of ours, but. Our council camp was donated um, to the Mobile Area Council back in the 40s. It's uh, right at 1,000 acres, and it's called Camp Malbilla. I want to say only about maybe less than 100 acres is actually developed. And yep. um, for us to be such a rich, uh, and we really are, uh, a, we really did have a, have a lot of revenue for a long time, but guess what? it all got eaten up in salaries and a new scout shop and all this kind of stuff. And quite frankly, Malbilla has been and always will be a dump of a camp. It is a dump yeah. of a camp. And I've been, you know, I've worked at camps in North Carolina, uh, Virginia, and um, it's just depressing to think about the facilities that we had coming up in the, in the, in the scouts around here. So, um, spring of 2016, I get a phone call from some friends of mine. One of them had been in an OA ordeal, and that's the order of the arrow for you non-scout uh, people. And the OA, uh, they have basically it's a it's a program for older boys. And um, would you say that they're basically field hands? I mean, you you go up there and you work and you do what they tell you to do, right? In in obedient silence. I didn't like that part of it on my ordeal, but um, anyway, they were up there for that, and some fellas out there flagging trees. And my buddy went over there and said, "Hey, man, what are you doing?" I said, "Oh, we're getting ready to clear cut all this." <laughs> he said, "Clear cut it." He said, "Yeah, I think they're planning on selling some of it too." So these two fellas loaded up, and we have an executive board of I think eight. And then we have the the board here in Mobile uh, Mobile area is like forty members, and it's all just to help with fundraising. Do y'all have something similar over there? I mean, you, where your district board is just forty or fifty people? No. Okay. Uh, we have a very we have a very small. I mean, our council we have the largest BSA council. The Sam the Sam Houston area council is the largest in the nation. And it encompasses one, two, three, four, five, six, seven counties. Six. And uh, we have a, we have a very uh, our 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 district our council organization is very uh, corporate. I mean, it's like there's people that are paid to run it, but I mean, we're talking our council budget is is in the tens of millions of dollars. So it's it needs to be. We have boards of regents and everything else, but our organization is very tight. All right, so at this time in particular, and I'm sure I'm going to miss somebody, and I'm, I'm sure my friends are going to be mad at me about this, but the executive board that I knew of at the time, Mike Box, Phil Webb, David Green, Robert Greer, and uh, Dr. George Inge, who were at the helm and hired scout executive Michael Hardigan. So... Guess what the salaries were in 2010 for the Mobile Area Council? Eight, 800 grand. Holy Toledo. By 2016, that was down to 560, and now we're right around 300,000. 
our revenues over expenditures, and I don't want to get into too much, too many of these, but let's just go back to 2009. Revenues over expenditures, negative 274 in 2009, 2010, negative 311. In 2011, we showed a profit or uh, uh, revenues being uh, ahead of expenditures by um, – they sold Camp Push Mataha for $225,000. I don't know why that was a good idea because we got thirty-five grand a year in, in oil and gas royalties off the property. 2012, they're still, sh- you know, they're still showing a positive because they sold Camp Push. It, they only went in the whole eighty grand that year. Thirteen, one hundred twenty-five, fourteen, two ninety, two thousand fifteen, three hundred thousand. I mean, just on and on and on. Um. Guess how much money the scout executive made every year? How much? About 120 when it was all said and done. And he lost at least that much every year, right? If he's if he's hired to manage. So so what do you think happened when my two buddies went over there for their board meeting? And it's at the it's like at the old I can't I don't know what it's called now, but it used to be the Skyline Country Club over Mobile. It's under a, it's under another name now, but anyway, um, so you go over there and it's kind of like a rotary lunch, you know. Everybody gets some fried chicken and stuff, and they sit around and talk, and they have a little program, and they talk about selling popcorn or whatever. And then that meeting's over with, and all the chumps leave, and the guys who know what's going on get down to business. So when I got the call. I was actually on the United Way board, and the United Way of Baldwin County gives the Mobile Area Council somewhere in the neighborhood $25,000 a year. And so when they, uh, so my friends go over to the meeting, they are thrown out in what they described as like a damn Jim Carrey movie. Like, told us none of their damn business. One of the people actually, screamed and hollered and raised his voice and they were told to leave so <laughs> they called me and i went over there went I, I called them and told them who i was and told them that i want that i was a scouter and wanted to come over to one of their board meetings and i'd like to sit down and talk with the executive board because it was my understanding that they were hemorrhaging money and in my fiduciary responsibilities to the people who give money to the United Way, I felt like it was my responsibility to find out what was going over here at the Boy Scouts. Why would we continue to hand them money if they're just throwing it out the back door, yeah, right? Absolutely. So I go over there to the meeting. I sit there. They make me wait two hours. between. So they, they went and had their executive board meeting, and um, apparently Hardigan and Phil Webb, they just said the hell with it. They let everybody else go, so I only got to speak with the two of them. And I asked a bunch of questions. And they told me it was none of my damn business. And I and I didn't really pull the Demi Moore on them. You know what I'm talking about? The uh a few good men. My job's to make sure you do your job, that kind of thing. So get this is what's so hilarious about it. Before I get back across the Bayway, I get a call from the director of United Way, or not the director, but the the president of our board, wanting to know just what in the hell I'm doing over there interrogating uh, one of our sponsor agencies. And my question to him was, why hadn't you been over there yet? Right? Why hadn't everybody on our board been over there saying what in the world's going on? 
So anyway, uh, Mr. Hardigan is gone. Uh, he's run this place into the ground, and he is now somewhere out west making even more money, which is brings me to another point where any anytime you're buying popcorn or whatever for the Boy Scouts, what you're really doing is paying a scout executive salary, um, in, in my opinion, at least in the Mobile area. Um, we got a new guy. He seems pretty good, but like I said, we went from eight hundred thousand dollars worth of people working there to about three hundred thousand. We got a bunch of part-time people volunteering. It's just it, it's a shell of what it used to be. And with all these new social changes, I don't know that I don't know that the the, the mobile area is going to survive. Um, we had a camp up here, and this is kind of funny. Uh, camp uh pine tree it was uh, given to the presbyterian church by a uh, local family up here and so long as it operated as a as a camp then uh you know the church could keep it if it ever ceased to operate as a camp then it would revert back to the family well at some point in all this i want to say 2015 uh, when they started really getting into money trouble they decided uh, so the Presbyterian Church decided that they couldn't, they that they didn't want to run it anymore. It wasn't profitable for them, but they went to the family that deeded it to the church, and they said, "Listen, can we? Can the Boy Scouts operate it?" And so they changed the terms, and the Boy Scouts had it under their control for a couple of years. Spent a bunch of money on it unnecessarily. All you had to do was leave it as a primitive camping site, just have somewhere for people to go camp. There's a lake on the property. There was a swimming pool, uh, dining hall, some chateaus, but that's all the stuff that's fallen into disrepair. So guess what they do with that, Reigns? They just decide, hell, we, we can't afford to operate that place. So they gave it back. They just they let the family take it over again. Well, just explain to me the logic in that. All they had to do well, with it was nothing. Not put a well, lock on the gate. Well, no, see you, when it comes to land use management, anybody that has dealt with forestry or large-scale ranch management will tell you, you can't just put a lock on the gate. The land will deteriorate if it's not. Dude, It'll go, they didn't need to spend back. 200 grand on a swimming pool that nobody's ever going to swim in again. Well, no. They could have right. put a lock on the gate and had one district executive with the key, and when a troop wanted to go camp somewhere, they could go camp. And wait for well, a few what? years down the road when, who knows, maybe we're going to piss away all of the property that we have, and all we'll have is something that's been loaned to us. Well, I think this is part of the overall bleeding that is hurting the scouting program across the board. It's not just, it's, it's not just the political perceptions. It's literal infrastructure. We had uh, in Mississippi, just right across the state line from you, we had the L.O. Crosby uh, Scout Reservation just south of Camp Shelby in the Bigfoot National, on the edge of the Bigfoot National Forest. And it went the route that Mobilla did. I mean, it wasn't a great campsite to begin with, but it was the only BSA certified campsite for the council. And it went kind of that way where it just became geologically and geographically untenable in a lot of places. I mean, the infrastructure had been put in in the 1950s and had been maintained very well, but never replaced or upgraded. And there were some floods and some fires. And over time, they pieced out a lot of it and said, look, you know, 
we've got to get rid of this. You can't just put a lock on the gate because if you're going to be a certified scout campsite, you still got to pay insurance on it. You still got to pay certification fees on it. And it comes down to where stewardship becomes an issue. And if you're, if there are councils all over this country who are faced with these, just these incredible deficits and new recruits and new money coming in that simply can't maintain these sites anymore. And they're having to let them go. Now it comes down to what are we mortgaging? Are we, you know, when we speak to, you know, it's gotten down, we're piecing out all these little pieces that we've been given to try to make ends meet. Now we got to let the, you know, now we got to put a second mortgage on the house. You know, they're mortgaging Philmont now. That tells me that we're in serious trouble. And we have not only mortgaged land, but we have mortgaged the soul of the Boy Scouts of America. And so you want to talk about back in line. You want to talk about selling your soul? I got a good one for you, Reigns. So right about the same time when I get into the weeds with these dweebs over there, um, of course, it's all excusable. Nobody's mismanaged anything. It's just a, you know, just don't have as many kids as we used to, which we all know that isn't true. But uh, anyway, do you do you remember the straw man article that we talked about in the first episode? Of course, one uh, of the okay. most unforgettable pieces of journalism ever. There you go. So, do you remember a, a gentleman named Commissioner Tucker Dorsey who was? Who, of course, right. Yeah. So, guess who these turkey necks gave the Golden Eagle Award to in 2016? you got to be kidding me. And that's when I said, I'm through. I, and I told uh, my, my two friends, when that happened, I said, there, there's no there's no salvation for the Mobile Area Boy Scouts. Not not if they're doing things like that. And, yeah. and, and I don't and, and just tell you my position on it at the time in 2016, I didn't want to help them. Not after they'd done something like that. I was asked by the some people, a small faction within the national, and I, I don't know if you're still a member or not, but I am, the National, national Organization Eagle of Eagle Scouts. Yeah. There was a small faction that were politically kind of pulling a uh, very grand gesture that they were turning their Eagle medals back in. And they said to me, you know, how do you, how do you feel about the Boy Scouts allowing these barriers to fall and i said the, the first thing i said was i don't care what bsa does you ain't getting my eagle medal period there's four things in this house that are going to get saved if a damn airplane hits it and my eagle medal is one of them my son and my wife in the top five but eagle medal is number one you're not getting that i don't care what they do that to me is a, a, a personal triumph that as a person, I don't feel like I've equaled yet in my life. Right. But to the to the politics of it, I understand what they were saying. And there was a lot of grand gesturing. You know, that we're not going to be involved in scouting anymore. We're going to do our own thing. And I think that has become a lot. It's been a lot less political of late. But it's become a lot of good people going down the road that you went, where good people are leaving scouting because they're just tired of the stuff that's happening. And we have experienced drain in my council alone like you wouldn't believe. I mean, this is about as red part of the country as they can come outside of Houston. I mean, it's a big blue dot, but it's got a red ring around it. And we had 68 Cub Scout packs just in Kingwood, Texas. Now, Doodle 
Kingwood, Texas, the little suburb that I live in, is the size of Ocean Spring. There's 80,000 people that live here. Right. There were 68 Cub Scout packs. Wow. In this in this subdivision alone, just in this council, in the Flaming Arrow Council, there's 68 Cub Scout packs. We're down to 30 in less than two years because people are simply walking away from it. Right. And they're putting their kids in church-based organizations. They are seeking the values that they perceive scouting used to give in other places because they don't feel like that's going forward. And there's a large part of me that says, I will stand in the doorway to try to keep you from going, but I ain't going to stand there all day. And what we're having is people like Harry who were lifetime committed to scouting who are just fed up with it. Hey, listen to this, Reigns. When I moved back here in 2011, I called Michael Hartigan, the scout executive over there, and I said, Michael, I said, I don't want you guys pestering the piss out of me like you did up in Birmingham, calling me, coming to, want me to come to a pancake dinner every other weekend or pancake breakfast. But if you need me, um, and I told him my history with the Boy Scouts, I said, you know, I have a, a, a MPA, a law degree, a quadits instructor. There's not a merit badge you have that I can't teach except for shotgunning or something like that. And so why not take advantage of having me here? And, you know, if there's a banquet or something, let me know if there's a particular fundraiser. I sent him an email. It had all my contact information on it. I had no clue that we were in any kind of financial trouble until I got that call in 2016. No clue. And nobody ever, from 2011, 2016, nobody ever called me about anything related to Boy Scouts, good, bad, or otherwise. Never asked me to teach a merit badge. I went over here to our local scout troop, my old my old troop 78, and um, a, a, a damn basketball game broke out instead of a, a scout meeting. So, yeah. uh, you know, I, I kind of lost my... <laughs> the idea that I was going to come back and, and help out with the local scout troop. Anyway, they looked like they had it handled and they certainly didn't want any advice from somebody authoritarian like me. Um, all right. What else you got reigns? You got any more facts well, or I, figures for us? I no, I don't have a whole lot that wouldn't induce another hour's worth of discussion, but I think we've, uh, I think we beat the horse pretty well. I'll stand by my statement that, uh, you mortgage Philmont. That is, more than just a financial statement, that is a conglomeration of we are mortgaging the soul of the Boy Scouts of America. And I'm not talking just about Philmont. I'm talking about all of it. And unless someone steps in and is willing to take the reins of that organization and say we are philosophically going to develop over time, it's all going to be agenda-based. And I have a limit. There's a limit to how much that I will participate. And uh by God, they, they don't want to lose me like they lost you because there's Harry, they, there ain't many of us left out there. Well, and here's the thing. If they'll get – so Hardigan's gone. I mean, there, there wasn't any money for him to take anymore. The, the well is dry, so he's moved on to another council. They brought in a guy, you know, set him up for failure. And um, what needs to happen is this executive board over there in Mobile needs to bow out. You've run us into the ground, bow out, get some people who care about scouting and who care about the organization back in there, not just people that want to put it on their resume and say me, me and my sons and all my grandsons are, you know, um, 
Eagle Scouts. That that's what this is all about for these people, and it, that's not what it's supposed to be about. It's supposed to be about the organization, and it should be people who are. It's a good way to say it. They should have their hearts and minds in the right place. Is that a good way to say it, Reigns? I agree. If, if you're going to be involved in an organization, in any youth organization, I don't care if you're little, if you're the coach of your son's or daughter's little league team, you should have your heart in it. I, I declined becoming an educator. I have a degree that allows me to teach in this country, and I declined to become a teacher in this country because my heart wasn't in it. I knew that the first time I ever stepped into a classroom. I said, no, nah, man, I uh-uh. There'd be some kids, dislocated man. shoulders if you were a teacher range. Grab. I tell you what, there'd be a lot of there'd be a lot of kids left behind. But it's <laughs> and and I said no, I'm not going to do that because my heart won't be in it, and I'm not going to take a job like that because I recognize the importance of it. My mother was a public school teacher for 38 years. I understand that you have to have your heart into it, or else you're doing a disservice right. to the children you teach. And I feel like you should have your heart into anything you do with youth and I have my heart in the scouts and Harry, my heart is breaking. Yep. I don't know how much more of this I can take. Well, stay tuned because, uh, Sidley Austin is the name of the law firm out of, they're actually based in Chicago, but hell they got offices all over the world. They have 2000 attorneys. I th- maybe that's why they needed the, the, the line of credit. Jesus, Harry, that's the same attorney's office that represents the archdiocese of Philadelphia. Whoa! Ding, ding, ding! They got experience settling these things, man. Well, I can say this about Big Ben: they have been, they have done their best to be as transparent as possible. And after, and I'll say this deeply and thoughtfully at the end of my statements, I conducted a thorough investigation into the Boy Scout handling of these particular lawsuit settlements, and I can say to a very solid degree that I feel that the BSA has been very transparent about everything that they're settling and what they're dealing with right now. And I found no uh, systemic, no evidence of a systemic cover-up of abuse in this organization at any level other than possibly local, because I can't possibly investigate every single local council. But from a national level, I found no evidence of systemic cover-up, and that kept me in scouting, Harry. I, you and I had this conversation privately a few weeks ago. I said, if I find out that BSA in any way participated in any sort of cover-up about any of this, we're gone. Or playing, and, or, or moving someone from council to council. Exactly. Yeah, I never I heard found anything. No like evidence. Right. I found no evidence of any kind of systemic cover-up. So. And I'll stand by that. And if somebody wants me to publish it, you know, write me a check and I will. But uh, it's, uh, yeah, I I feel they've been very transparent with it, as transparent as any organization could be. They make, you know, Mother Church look like the Pentagon. So they've been very transparent, very good about it. And I'm not happy about it. Um, I blame a lot of this on blood-sucking catfish attorneys like you who's going to get out there and try to get a check cashed on somebody that got a scoutmaster's hand down their pants in 1947. But, uh, you know, that's I think happen. you should, Reigns, if anybody should cook one up, she, man. Seriously. <laughs> uh, I'm just trying to keep my son on the straight and narrow and keep his friends of the same mindset. So I'll, uh, I'll keep my blinders on and keep pushing forward and, 
just looking for a light at the end of the tunnel because, boy, there's got to be one soon. So the good news is we only have to pay doodle by the words. She said eight <laughs> damn words the whole time we've been on there. Um, well, well, podcast as in life, I can't get a word in edgewise anyway. So last night we went to uh, Bay Revage. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and, and so this is what's funny. I hate to gamble. I think it is the dumbest thing that anybody could possibly do with their money. And guess who loves to gamble? I strictly for entertainment. Doodle. Ah, sure. Just sit there in front of one of those machines for hours, and I can't stand it. Oh, strictly entertainment. But guess who won? Area as usual. He did. I did because oh, I because I because I can't stand being in that place. Just the I don't know. I I don't care for casinos. I certainly don't care for gambling. Um, but I won, so there's good news. Um, so we had a we had another little mishap at the house. Um the night before thanksgiving so i had several turkeys had smoked one and put another one on and then i said you know i've got these four different kinds of bourbon and i really want to decide which one i like the best so i started drinking bourbon and water and then i went to rest my eyes for just a minute and the next thing i know it's uh doodles waking me up the house is full of smoke well done and so is the neighborhood. And so is the neighborhood. The, the turkey had, um, I guess all the fat had rendered out of it. And then it combusted. I can't believe Push, someone did not call point. the fire department. It was and, that bad. And, so, and it was drizzling rain, so I had my big green egg. Uh, uh, there's a little uh, breezeway between our garage and the house. And so that that's where it was. And I didn't realize, and, and I guess it was because of the um, the volume of smoke and the fact that there was no breeze. It just went up there and went right through the, uh, what do you call that, the uh, underside of your eaves. Uh, yeah. You know, that's how your house breathes out, out of there. And uh, uh-huh. so anyway, instead the smoke had come in there. And uh, yeah, so we got to get up and open the front door and the back door take the smoldering turkey off the thing at three in the morning anyway good times man you'll never forget this thanksgiving will you i won't there you go well rains when you come in this way man i don't know I, I get over there at some point somebody's probably gonna have to die and i got some some of my close family that's on the edge of that precipice so i'll probably use over that way sometime in the next year come and duck my head into the the, head, the new and improved headquarters of the Backcountry Backstory Podcast. Backstory Cod Podcast. And <laughs> stick my head in there. Doodle, don't don't worry about nothing. Harry's, y'all's house could burn to the damn ground, and ain't nobody in Bayman Egg going to call the fire department on it. That's a uh, back. I think Harry's pissed off everybody true. with two legs. <laughs> they're going to they gonna let it. They're going to they gonna light a brush fire in your kitchen to contain it. So, uh, light a backfire and uh, so be ready for that they'll come fight that fire with a bulldozer oh, goodness. while the while the mayor and the chief of police roast marshmallows on what's left of the den i would hope so. not but you never know stranger things have happened in stranger places well boys and girls that's it for us today um i'm gonna try to find the right button for outro music and um rains you have a good one man we appreciate you participating Always a pleasure. Stay home. Don't spend any money. (laughs) 
There you go. Thanks, Reigns. We'll see you next time, man. See y'all later.